I mean, we're obviously not going to take anything for granted. We want this to be not just that we're doing everything we can to pass a ballot initiative, but we're really setting up a framework by which we know and can use this as a as a tool for, for the fights down the road that we know are going to happen. Welcome to the Ronin Project podcast, a show about Asian Americans in politics, rocking the boat, breaking the rules, and taking on the big fights. I'm your host, Bill Wong. Buckle up, it's time for Ronin's to Roll program. Hello, Ronin Nation. We've got another amazing podcast for you today. Last week, we had Congresswoman Judy Chu, the author of the Women's Health Protection Act, talking about getting arrested and the national effort to protect access to safe and legal abortions. Today, we have another Asian American political powerhouse to talk about the fight in California for abortion rights. Jody Hicks is the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California. She is one of the most influential frontline voices on protecting legal access to safe abortions in the nation. Hi, Jody. Thanks for joining us for the Ronan Project podcast. Can you tell the Ronan Nation about what PPAC does and why the organization is so important to communities up and down the state? Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. And it's really great to talk with you. I haven't talked to you for a while. So Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California, we represent seven affiliates. Those seven affiliates operate over 100 health centers throughout California, servicing patients on all types of reproductive health care, some primary health and including abortion and things like gender affirming care and to the most vulnerable communities. Most of the health centers treat upwards of 80% Medicaid and low income and certainly primarily folks of color. So so they do a lot of work and, and our PPAC is the statewide advocacy group. So we really do all of the advocacy for both budget, legislation, everything that's needed in terms of reproductive rights, but also healthcare in general. Um, and then we also provide a support system for things like billing and, and all of the issues that come with operating health centers. And I think for us, where we are unique is we are a leading voice in reproductive rights for that advocacy space, but we're also a provider. And most people have been or have an experience with Planned Parenthood sometime in their lifetime that they've either been a patient or know someone who has been a patient. And so we have a really deep connection in communities, but also with people throughout the nation. How big of a fight is this? I mean, it's important to always remember that, that um, you know, our organization is really centered and the mission is really centered around patients. And so I think people tend to believe that, you know, when you're in a blue state like California, everything is fine. There's nothing to worry about. But it it's always is because, as you said, we're, we're treating the most vulnerable patients. Oftentimes it's their first time and they're only their frontline primary care that they're getting are, are in health centers like Hours because we won't turn anyone away, regardless of, you know, your whether you're documented or undocumented, whether you have money or you don't have money. We we will, you know, our doors are open. But in order for them to remain open, we need investments, and we certainly need things like Medicaid. As we take again over eighty percent Medicaid, we need those reimbursements to be at a rate where we can keep treating patients, but also. You know, one of the things that I've been talking about, especially recently, is what it takes to actually provide abortion care. And that means things like higher security needs. So how much we spend on our facilities and our structures and needing things now that, that there's issues and where you have to travel outside of 
the state you live in in order to get care here in California, we are now hiring navigators where people are just literally helping people navigate where the closest airport is. There's other dollars that go into having Azure mission that we will provide abortion care where many others won't. So we have to do all of that advocacy every day to ensure that that patients are getting care. Well, we've got this measure on the the California ballot in November, Proposition 1. Can you tell us about what it does, why it's so important in California, which is kind of a blue state, why it's so important for for voters and Asian-American voters to support it on the ballot in November? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, just zooming out a little bit, we we really started in September when Texas SB8 went into effect in Texas and they stopped providing abortions in September. We quickly put together the Future of Abortion Council with with a lot of our stakeholders to get all the experts in the room to really look at California. And the premise was the governor had declared California reproductive freedom state. And if we if that was going to be our values, what does that mean to actually ensure that people had access to care, access to abortion here? What what are all the things we need to to do to to really be a reproductive freedom state? And so so we had a blueprint for California and, and started on that work, knowing that Roe v. Wade was coming sometime in the summer. What we learned you know, we did that work. We had 15 bills. We had a lot of budget investments. But when that leaked draft came out, it was very clear that they were going to not only overturn Roe entirely, but really separate out what are rights under the right to privacy and, and abortion being front and center. But really, that will be true for other things down the road. And so The way our statute is written, we have the right to privacy, including abortion. What we realized is in our California constitution, we do not say the words abortion or reproductive freedom. And it was very clear that based on what happened in the Supreme Court, that you have to really enshrine exactly what your rights are. And so we wanted to be very clear here in California, you have each individual has the right to reproductive freedom and the state shall not interfere with that right. So no matter what our future governor looks like, our future legislature, that we're really protecting those rights for generations to come, given that the Supreme Court just overturned 50 years of precedent and took away a right, which has never happened before, it became very clear that we needed to to move quickly and send that message that here in California, each person is protected. Yeah, I think that's super important to to point out. I, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember when the Republicans took over the the state assembly. I'm old enough to remember when they recalled the Democratic governor and replaced it with a Republican governor. So, you know, nothing's really necessarily off the table, and it's super important to make sure that the Constitution and the statute have have that literal protection in it for for uh, particularly for reproductive rights and, and abortion access. Uh, but with regard to the current scenario, do you think that in California it's going to be a big fight for Proposition One, or do you think that it you know um, you know we're pretty blue state? Uh, at least people say we're a blue state. I mean, there's there's definitely purple areas, the red areas. Uh, what what are your thoughts about what the fight's going to be like in November? I mean, we're obviously not going to take anything for granted. We want this to be not just that we're doing everything we can to pass a ballot initiative, but we're really setting up a framework by which we know and can use this as a as a tool for for the fights down the road that we know are going to happen. 
and how we organize very seriously and looking at this as the first step in what we need to do in California and beyond. The polling is is really good. I think what may be surprising to to sort of long-term consultants is that abortion rights are really top of mind for people. It really is a priority right now. It's not something that people are shying away from and not wanting to talk about. They're really, really concerned about what what is happening around the country and certainly what that impact will be for people in California. And so we we want to ensure that that we're doing everything right to set the stage for what the future looks like. But, you know, it's important that everybody comes out and shows support for this again, because I think it's message sending for the rest of the country. And as we did with that future abortion council and put a blueprint, we're also, and being a leader to the rest of the country of what a state can do. We want to be that leader when it comes to constitutional rights as well. And, you know, it always, whenever you take away a right or certainly any access to healthcare, it always disproportionately hurts communities of color. And so we really want every community, especially in including the Asian American communities to come out and show their support loud and clear that this is important that we preserve reproductive rights for every person. When I was running the Assembly Democrats in 2018, one of the, the most impactful both polling points and message points for our candidates that got us to a supermajority were the candidates that had um, a strong stance on abortion rights. It was such a powerful kind of visceral issue for so many, particularly young voters and women voters in California, that it allowed us in a low turnout midterm election to really drive up our our supermajority to unheard of, of levels. And I think that that's probably what's going to happen this cycle as well, because, um, you know, people seemed genuinely pissed off about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, any person that can become pregnant in their lifetime, I think fundamentally from a visceral level understands that taking away your right to make decisions is not just, I think it used to be thought of really as, you know, we said a lot of my body, my choice kind of, and the, and all of that is super important. And it's very important for people to have bodily autonomy, but it's also looking at what's happened, especially over the last decade, as they continue to chip away at access to things like abortion, things like gender affirming care, things that are decisions on that affect the trajectory of your future. You know, we know there's been studies, the turnaway study that was published, it was a 10 year study that people that were denied access to abortion care, whether it's an economic barrier or, you know, geographical barrier, whatever that was, are four times more likely to end up in poverty. They don't have the same economic and educational opportunities. There's a really deep fear right now of what's going to, you know, what the future graduating class of medical students is going to look like five years from now, if you're really taking away decision-making for, for what can be opportunities in your lifetime. And I think people are really pissed. They're really scared. They're scared for their kids. You know, I, it's the first time we have to think about where we're sending our kids to school because half the country you won't be able to get access to rights and healthcare that you can in another state and and where you take a job and you know i think it's it's sort of really that understanding is becoming more clear in just the few weeks since this has taken place and people are 
mad and they're willing to do something about it. Yeah, I think that it's really interesting that in 2016, when Trump got elected, California decided to be the, the the beacon for the nation. And I think a lot of us thought that that would end once Trump was out of office. But it's pretty clear that California, for the, the foreseeable future, is going to continue to be a beacon on issues like abortion access and gun you know safety and those types of things, and can use the significant weight of its population to be able to impact things going forward and, and also provide a safe haven for many of the, the Americans out there that are, are terrified in red states that are, are, are bridging their rights. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, as bad as this year has been, that's been really hopeful and really great as we've we've gone into the field and done focus groups and you know talk talk through some of the issues. And what has been very clear for people in California is not only is abortion rights top of mind, not only are they mad and upset about what's going on in other states. When you talk about what happens if people come into California, should we be treating and paying for people that have to come to California in order to get care? And overwhelmingly, the answer was yes, we don't have a choice. We don't like what they're doing. We think it's terrible, but we have a responsibility to ensure that people are safe and and getting care. And that's really how people feel about it. So, you know, I think, again, surprising for sort of old talking points on like, we don't want to pay for people that, that aren't from California. We don't want to take care of other people from out of state. When it comes to something as important as, as healthcare, people are like, no, we don't have a choice. We're, it's our responsibility. We are that state. We're the haven state, and that's our responsibility, and that's who we are. And, and that's what we're hearing from people right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, forgive the gender preference. You know, we are our brother's keeper in a lot of ways. And if we're going to move forward as a nation, we have to look out for all of our people who are, you know, being subject to the decision of just nine justices. Well, actually, like five of the nine justices or whatever. So, you know, I've been in politics for a long time and it's so amazing to see, you know, Asian American woman like you kind of rise to the top of a huge legendary organization. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and and what you feel like is the future? Sure. I mean, I I started as a staffer, I think like many of us did in in the the California assembly. And, um, you know, I, it's such a great place to start because you learn all of the issues, whether you're assigned to them or not, that, you know, they all eventually come, um, every bill comes, you know, that passes through committees comes to the floor and you sort of get to know a lot of issues. I did do healthcare and, and women's health and ended up my first job, which probably the coolest at the time was working for a national organization for women, the California chapter. And it was just such a small little group. And I got to be, I, I would call myself a professional feminist, just got to work on really cool issues. But I did have kids I needed to put through college. So I ended up being a lobbyist for the California Medical Association. And that was really my first real more corporate type lobbying job. And then ended up a partner with a lobbying firm, but always a board member, of Planned Parenthood affiliates did lobbying pro bono and also as a paid client was Planned Parenthood. So always kept in the mix of that and certainly with all healthcare. And then when they called and and needed somebody to come in for the CEO spot, I did that. I did it as an interim 
position for a little bit and then ended up making the decision to have it be permanent. You know, it was, I did not expect to be leading this organization when Roe was overturned. <laughs> that was not something I, I saw in the future. When I took the position and it, you know, not going to lie, it's not been easy. I think for all of us that feel and care about this issue so deeply, in some ways, it's probably easier for me this last month, as everybody has reached out to me with how horrible they feel, and I'm just sort of doing the the work and have a place to put those energies. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel like we've all been through a lot with the pandemic, certainly reckoning on issues of race from a personal level, dealing with the rise in Asian hate crimes. And I feel like we're doing some trauma-informed leadership right now. And, and that's just something that we're all sort of slogging through. But I also know, I put it to, to someone that if you had asked me when I was in college or you had told me that I would be leading Planned Parenthood someday, I would have thought that I hit the pinnacle of the best thing I could ever think of doing. and. I believe 10 years from now, I'm doing work that I'm going to be really, really proud of. In this moment, it's not super fun. <laughs> it's a lot. It's hard. But it's also, you know, rewarding in all the ways that you can imagine. Well, it's super important to have a fierce advocate like you. I mean, I've seen you in action, and you are a very formidable force in the political space. Uh, my former boss, Judy Chu, was recently arrested, but it was so amazing to see her, you know, on news, getting arrested, and also being the author of the the Women's Protection uh, Health Protection Act. What did you feel when you saw that? I mean, was it you know a kind of a moment like, yeah, this is the sister that's out there like kicking ass. Oh, completely. I mean, so, so proud for so many reasons. Proud, you know, as exactly that, having an Asian sister with the, the face of leading this important issue right now, really the most important issue that at the federal level is how we can have federal protections. And, and I think, again, from an institutional place, people want to be quiet about it or think it's not something to be talked about. And to have Judy Chu out there loudly declaring what we need to do across the country. So proud. And also being from that, knowing that she's from California. And it's funny because when I talked about being with National Organization for Women, that was my first lobbying job, quote unquote. It was sort of a baby lobbying job. But I still remember the first time a member called me on my cell phone and it was Judy Chu. And I remember being like, oh my God, I don't know how to answer that. You know, being like, oh, a member, an elected official. So it's just the, to see her leading on something that affects everything is just couldn't be more proud of her. Yeah, and I'm sure now she's, she she looks at her phone and is like, I'm getting a call from Jody Hicks. Oh, my God. So amazing. <laughs> it's, it's a great moment. So, I mean, we've got, you know, you, you've got Judy, you know, we've got two million voters, Asian American voters in California. But, you know, I still feel that we're not necessarily fully kind of baked yet. I mean, what's your feeling with regard to, you know, how how do we kind of coalesce our identity both for this issue and then also in in the 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 current climate of anti-Asian hate? Is is there a way that we can really bottle up all of that electoral power? We've got one trillion dollars worth of spending capacity as consumers. Uh, we've got so many resources, but we seem so underutilized in the political realm. What, what do you think is the next steps for the Asian American community? 
I mean, I think all the, the work that you've been doing, Bill, is really, it's just so important because I think it's what everyone will talk about. And I don't want to say this as if it's a reason, you know, the Asian community is not going to be a powerhouse, but it is true that as a coalition, we generally don't share a common language. There are different cultures with very different characteristics within that Asian community. But I think we share more than people think we do, or that sometimes even we think we do. And just taking on the leadership role and saying that this is what we're doing, having podcasts like this, talking about and to Asians and really meeting people where they are and where the commonalities are and understanding that we can be a force together. I think, you know, experiences are different. Like for mine, I grew up without that many Asians. It was mostly white people. And so, you know, I didn't grow up understanding that there's a community of Asian people that will be collective and and have commonalities besides my own family. But even in the, the rise of hate crimes and certainly what happened with those four Asian women and and how hard that hit me and talking about it, I realized that everyone around me was feeling the exact same thing, every Asian woman around me, which is this deep-seated anger and how, you know, being sexualized as an Asian woman or even young girl my whole life and sort of just accepting and all those stereotypes. That's how I felt, but then understanding that all of the Asian women in my life also have that same exact experience. And there's a Japanese woman in my staff, there's a Filipina, but we all have that same experience and we're all feeling that same rage over what had happened, but we hadn't talked about it in that way. And I think that just having avenues like this, talking about polling and what that looks like and, and where our commonalities in having this awakening that that we are part of a community that is really powerful and that there are leaders in in different areas that are are doing this work because I think and and I experience this too people forget that we are also people of color I think that also gets dismissed oftentimes so I've been in many rooms where it's like we we need more speakers that are people of color and I'm like hi (laughs) I'm on the it's actually me, but people don't recognize that, but we do. And so, and, you know, we are our own power. And I think just the work that you're doing and lending that voice, I think is important. And I think it will continue to grow. And once we recognize the power and have some outcomes, then it just, it'll grow from there. Yeah. And I think modeling is super important. Like when people see you on national TV and all all of these types of, you know, campaign stuff, when I see you on social media, meeting with some of the most powerful people in the world, it's, it's just so inspiring. And I think particularly for young Asian American women, there's like, yeah, that, it can be done or somebody is there and somebody has that. Whereas I think that the, the past modeling of acculturation is, is that we're doing math problems or building mm-hmm. bridges or some or something like that. And I think having fighters like you and Judy out there so publicly and, and, and doing it in such with such style and, and force is, is really inspiring. I mean, it's kind of like watching a Marvel movie a lot of times when, you know, I see you guys in action. And uh, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm, I'm envious because I'm old and tired and, you know, seeing you guys out there kicking butt is so fun. Any last words of encouragement to the Ronin Nation about how they can get involved to support what you're doing? 
I mean, I think, as we all know, voting has never been more important at every level in in every single election, ensuring that you're voting, getting information, and, and especially right now from communities you trust. So if there are groups like Ronan Nation, if there are other areas where you can get your information from places you trust, I think making sure that you're you're informed and how everything is affecting every decision right now is affecting communities of color, certainly Asian communities, even the pandemic and how the vaccines were rolled out. All of those things affect communities if they're not at the table and and really fighting for for their communities. And so ensuring that we're all doing that. For the ballot initiative, we have our our website is Prop 1. Um, Everything is moving and anything you can do. But I think volunteerism is, is important right now. We know, especially for reproductive health care, people trust messengers that look like them and speak like them and understand issues that are important to their own communities. And so volunteering at, at clinics or in community-based organizations that are doing that outreach is also important and just encourage everyone to do that and donate to those organizations that are doing that work. Great. Well, we'll put the link in our show notes, and then we'll also put a link to how to follow you on social media. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Ronin Project podcast. We're so pleased you could join us today. Good luck on passing Proposition 1 in November. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week for a conversation with Hit Strategies' Roshni Nedungadi to talk about national polling data on Asian American voters and how abortion will affect who they plan to vote for on Election Day. See you next time. If you are inspired by the exploits of the amazing Asian American badasses on the Ronin Project podcast and want to find out how you can learn more about politics or help Asian American candidates, click on the link in the show notes to join the Ronin Nation's national progressive movement to inspire, organize, and empower Asian Americans. Until next time, Ronin's Roll Program.